When I was starting out thinking about how I was gonna how I was going to take some of this traditional music and put it in a new format, one of the things I had to think about was the harmony, because traditionally in Diné music we don't have harmony. That's Navajo composer and pianist Connor Chi, an Arizona native who will be speaking about indigenous music at this year's Arizona State Music Teachers Association Annual Conference, June 1st through the 3rd. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. Thanks for joining us on Heart of the Arts today. It's my pleasure. So you're a pianist and composer. You graduated from Eastman, and then you went on to get your education at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Yes. Um, and most of, well, a large portion of your piano music that you write is inspired by Navajo songs. And I just wanted you to talk a little bit about the music that you first heard you know, what age really stuck with you and how it's shaped your career? You know, some of my earliest influences were listening to my grandfather singing some traditional uh, Navajo chants and songs. Um, I got started in classical randomly because my mom had one of those compilation cassette tapes of classical piano, mm -hmm. and um, I really enjoyed it. So when I was about six, I started getting piano lessons. And I really continued down the path of classical piano, really through my master's degree. It wasn't until I got back home that I wanted to find a way to preserve some of the traditional chants that my grandfather would sing because they get lost. They're not written down. It's an oral tradition. Mm. Um, and so what I ended up doing was just taking some of the elements from the songs he would sing, uh, whether it's melodies or the rhythms or the methods of developing the music and incorporating it into my own piano compositions. Um, and from there also including elements of the culture. And uh, so it was sort of this windy path that I took to end up where uh, I am today doing what I'm doing that started out, you know, interestingly in my formative years, both listening to uh, the traditional Diné songs and classical music and eventually getting to a point where I was sort of merging the two. Mm -hmm. And you're from Arizona. And I was wondering if there were any classical pieces that kind of helped you blend those two as a composer. Is there any, um, you know, how Dvorak would kind of blend spirituals and, and rhythms into his music? Was any of that, did any of that translate well to what you're doing? Or do you feel like your approach was really your own approach, something really unique? When I was starting out thinking about how I was going to how I was going to take some of this traditional music and put it in a new format, uh, one of the things I had to think about was the harmony, because traditionally in Diné music, we don't have harmony. Okay. And so um, as I was putting these uh, melodies and uh, different rhythms into the piano, I had to think about how I was going to approach the harmony. And in Diné culture, the number four is sacred because we have four sacred mountains, four directions, uh, four sacred stones. Uh, it comes back a lot in different parts of the culture. And so as I was building these harmonies, I decided to build them on fourths and uh, fifths, the inversion, as, as my way of paying respect to that. And um, in that sense, I do hear some feedback saying, oh, it sounds very impressionist, some of the harmonies. Um, and it doesn't exactly come from that place. Certainly, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, playing the great impressionist works and listening to them. Um, but it sort of came from a different spot that arrived in a similar space, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was I did spend some time thinking about how I was going to do this. And some of it was instinct and some of it was very much, you know, sitting down with my thoughts and figuring out what I was going to do. Yeah. And and they are in terms of like length, you know, they, they are these shorter inspirational 
beautiful pieces. Biggest classical uh, composer as an influencer, who would you say? Oh, geez, that's a tough question. Because I mean, I think throughout yeah. my my studies, I it changed who was my favorite, of, of yeah. whether it was listening to or playing. I it think I is yeah. like an impossible question to answer. But you know, like, today, and like with the albums that you've we'll get to that later. But you know, stuff you've been currently working on. When I started out, I really, you know, loved listening to and playing Mozart. That was like my first inspiration. That was the first um, music I wanted to play on the piano. Um, but you know, I think today what I really love playing is Rachmaninoff. Mm. Um, I find it really a, a connection to that music and the interesting harmonies, but also it's a very still, um, steeped in the tradition, the earlier traditions for the time that he was writing the music. Um, and so I think there's something that correlates to my music is, you know, it can be seen as very traditional in terms of the harmony and structure, mm -hmm. but, um, it, you know, contemporary as well. So it's sort of a blending of those, those uh, two different worlds of the tradition and today. Was your culture just a daily part of your life, your spiritual beliefs, the way you celebrated? Was that with a community growing up and was that just really close to you all the time? Yeah, I think it was something that I really took for granted until I left. Um, I moved out of Arizona when I was about 10 years old uh, to Cincinnati to study music there. And um, it wasn't until I got to Cincinnati that I realized how special it was that I had like a grandfather that had so much knowledge and my family that really um, embraced the traditions and the culture. And so that was sort of an awakening for me that um, not everybody lives like this or has this part of uh, their life uh, in the same way that I did. So um, it was uh, a really great thing for me to be able to appreciate that, especially after I was able to come home after my studies and um, think more critically about the role that that played in my life. Yeah, you're doing so much stuff in the community here. Um, before we get to the June event, what's one of your favorite teaching moments, whether it be from your grandfather or Eastman or wherever you studied Cincinnati that you kind of keep with you? It's part of your professional trajectory? You know, something that my grandfather told me that I always have kept in mind was um, whenever you're trying to reach a goal, you're always, um, you should just compare yourself to no one else but yourself, uh, which was difficult for me because especially, you know, being in classical piano and being in the competitions and, uh, you know, it's a very competitive mindset in many aspects, but to have to keep in mind that I'm just really racing against myself in the long term, like where am I at in my life? Um, that was really something that helped me through my studies to help me um, stay focused and also not to have those moments where I just wanted to give up. You know, I would reach those points, certainly, where, um, you know, it felt like I wasn't doing enough or, you know, I wasn't good enough. But, yeah. you know, being able to think back to those words and really just kind of track my progress was enough to motivate me to, to keep going. So yeah, that wish... was something that really stuck with me. Yeah, that's like good, really good advice to get at a young age. You're participating with the Arizona State Music Teachers Association. It's their 2023, it's an annual conference. So it's this year's conference and the main event is Friday, June 2nd. So how did you 
uh, get involved with this event in the Grand Canyon University? You know, I think uh, originally I'd made contact with uh, Dr. Vladikovic, who's organizing the um, the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say exactly where because there's so many interconnected things. Uh, I yeah. know for sure we, we'd spoke. I did a webinar for the MTNA about Indigenous composers, and okay. we'd uh, connected through email and um, she had this really wonderful idea, a vision for the conference this year. And so we had a lot of conversations and she invited me to be a part of it, which was uh, really a great thing for me. Um, I like being involved in these kinds of things, especially with the teachers and the students, because that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because it's so close to home. Are you going to be hosting a, um, a master class? I'm going to be doing some performing. I'm going to um doing some panel discussions. Okay. And I'm also looking forward to just hearing what everyone else is going to be doing <laughs> as well while I'm there. Everyone else as in the guests cuz yeah, we do have another guest coming on. So is it is it this this whole new pool of artists that you get to come together with this year? Yeah, and, and you know, meeting other educators, other musicians, and listening to their presentations. That's something that really inspires me. Um, you know, I was at the MTNA conference a few weeks ago, and that was really uh, inspiring to me to just listen to what everyone else is doing, the work that they're doing, and uh, to have some really incredible leads in, in, uh, for myself when I go back to think about music in different directions to pursue. And will indigenous composers be a bulk of the topic? Yeah, I believe so. That's the theme for this year is the indigenous composers and marginalized composers in general. Okay, yeah. So I was going to ask, what portion of indigenous composers, what portion of their music is known compared to how much more is out there that we haven't heard of yet? I think, you know, there's a surprising amount compared to what you hear about. Yeah. Um, and I know for myself, when I was in college trying to look for music by indigenous composers, I really struggled. And it's not to say that it wasn't there. It was just harder to find. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really great to see these initiatives that are putting this music at the forefront for a lot of these conferences uh, in recent years and to make it more easy for people to discover it because there's a lot of great music out there mm-hmm. and um, a lot of really different music. That's one of the things about, uh, I'll, I'll say specifically about indigenous composers because sometimes people have a preconception of what indigenous music is. And an indigenous composer is just a composer that happens to be indigenous. Sometimes you can really hear the influences from the culture and sometimes uh, it might not be as easy but it comes from that same place but certainly it can defy expectations I think for a lot of listeners. Yeah what would be something not recognizable like you kind of hear something but sometimes people might listen and not know. You know, uh, I think recently uh, Raven Chacon, who won the Pulitzer Prize for music this past year, is a a really wonderful composer with a lot of experimental sounds. Mm -hmm. And his music can be influenced by uh, Native culture, Diné culture. But when you're listening to it, that's not necessarily where your mind goes. Hmm. It has those underpinnings, but it really has... uh, a really beautiful new take on sound and and music and it explores so many different things that I think uh, you know that's not what's at the forefront of your mind is oh how is this related to indigenous culture it's just fantastic music and um, it's really great that he's sort of breaking down these barriers uh, for all of the future composers future generations as well yeah and so Diné Diné being uh, Navajo 
Okay. Yeah, we call ourselves Diné. And what else do you celebrate about your culture besides the music? I think, you know, the culture is very much intertwined. The music uh, and the ceremony and the way that you live your daily life, uh, so much of it comes from just the way that we were taught to live. And so it's uh, not always easy to separate the music and the art and the way of living. It's all kind of a very holistic thing, um, which is, you know, really great because it lends itself to my composition because I can draw from aspects of the music for sure, but also aspects that are not musical that really lend themselves to being put into a musical format. Such as? Uh, such as, uh, well, I mentioned the number four and the directionality. Oh, yes. Uh, even the visual arts can be organized in a certain way if you see the patterns on traditional weavings. And um, the approach to uh, just like daily life, music accompanies so much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What about your piano? I saw an image on the record label, which I'll ask you about, but one of them was painted. For is that just one of your showpieces, or is yeah, I have that? I have um, the piano that's gone through several iterations okay. <laughs> of being painted or being covered with uh, fabric with traditional designs that I've used for my music videos. So it's always changing. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And whose artwork is it? Uh, it's a lot of it was stuff that I designed or fabric okay. that I found um, through some friends. Yeah. That's Navajo composer and pianist Connor Chi. He'll be a guest speaker and performer at this year's Arizona State Music Teachers Association Annual Conference, June 1st through the 3rd. Our conversation did get cut a little short because of technical difficulties on my end. I lost a little bit of audio, but he is on a great local label titled Wild Saguaro Records. I invite you to check that out. There's great images of him and his artwork and of course his music you can also find more about this artist at connor chi c-o-n-n-o-r-c-h-e-e dot com and hopefully we'll get him back here in the studios to talk more about indigenous music in arizona and beyond i'm melissa green for kbox heart of the arts